Faxi's musical podcast. Remember a while back when I said that Andy Partridge of the band XTC was one of my all-time favorite songwriters? Well, imagine being the guy who Andy Partridge thinks is one of the greatest songwriters alive. Imagine being a guy whose songwriting talent is so highly regarded that he's had guys like Andy Partridge, his XTC bandmate Dave Gregory, Jeff Lynne of ELO, Ben Folds, Michael Penn, and Ray Davies of the Kinks all jumping at the chance to appear on his albums. And remember how I told you that one of my favorite bands was the band Jellyfish. And do you remember how I've interviewed Jason Faulkner of Jellyfish not once, but twice? It was Jason Faulkner that produced this guy's last record. And do you remember how I've interviewed my college friend Cheryl Pavelski from Omnivore Recordings? Omnivore has released two of this guy's albums. The name of that guy is Thomas Walsh of Dublin, Ireland. And the name of his band is Pugwash. And while Thomas and Pugwash may not be household names in this country, some of the best songwriters in the world are in awe of Thomas Walsh. In fact, soon after Pugwash released their album Jolly, Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys said that the single It's Nice to Be Nice was one of his favorite songs. Since 1999, Pugwash has released seven studio albums, and Thomas has gone on to release two more albums as the Duckworth-Lewis Method, two albums about the game of cricket. Sound weird? Not if you've heard them. In fact, what you'll find throughout Thomas's entire career is the accolades are very well-deserved. Thomas Walsh is one of the greatest songwriters alive, and if you haven't heard his music, do yourself a favor, hit pause, come right back, because the music of Pugwash is an absolute treat. So why isn't Pugwash a household name? I don't really have an answer for you, but it would not be an exaggeration to say that Thomas Walsh has written some of the best power pop songs of the last 20 years. Thomas Walsh is getting ready to record a new album and go back on tour for the first time in way too long. He's funding it all through a crowdsourcing campaign, the same kind of effort that helped fund his last few records. This is my conversation with the great Thomas Walsh from Pugwash on Baxi's Musical Podcast. How are you, man? Great to see you. Uh, good to see you. I'm, I was really looking forward to today's uh, conversation. I've been a, a fan for at least 10 ah, years. Don't start. Don't start. Nah, I'm, I'm going to fawn all over you for a little bit. I hope you don't mind. Um, no, no, that's great. And you know, it's, uh, when was the last time I saw you? Um, it's, it's, probably, it's, it's probably been a while since you and I chatted on, on, uh, well, on, on Facebook. Have we, not, have we not met in person? I think the last time you were in Massachusetts... Uh, was you were in Northampton and I and I wasn't able to go to that show, and I figured, well, you know, I'm I'm sure he'll come back in no time at all. But we have not actually had a yeah, chance see, to meet. See, I think I had you in mind when I was going to when we were playing in Massachusetts, and I was thinking. I remember saying to the guys, like people like Mike Baxendale will be here, and like, uh, maybe David Toller, some of those people. I, I think that was around that area. It could it could very and well sometimes, have been. Sometimes, sometimes with the memory, I was like. Because I recognize your face, obviously, from online anyway and all that stuff and, and what you do. But I was thinking, have I met Mike? That's, no. That's, that's weird now because I really thought we'd met. And that's thank you for putting me straight. But see, I'm getting old, Mike. For <laughs> sake. Well, actually, I think I'm older than you are. So, um, but, uh, you know, I know what exactly what you mean with uh, with the memory. It's uh, it's Yeah, it's, but, you know, look, 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 you look fucking, you look 10 years younger than me. Look at this fucking thing. I, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually, would you believe... I'm going to a local, a local beard emporium that just opened up in the middle of nowhere in Ireland where I live, <laughs> and I'm gonna get it treated. Wow! I'm gonna, try, I'm gonna get like a natural color in it or something instead of this fucking. <laughs> so I'm going down the road of, of vanity. I, 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 after 52 years, vanity has now come into play. Fuck it. Yeah, what the hell? You know, you only live once. You might as well look good going in. Exactly, and that's the way I've, I've suddenly woke up about three weeks ago, man. Who gives a fuck? I don't. <laughs> I mean, if I have to live with this, you know, other people can fucking live with it, a slightly better version. Yeah, you know, when you're when you're blessed with good looks like I am, uh, yes, you, know, course, you gotta yeah. you gotta do what you you gotta do what you can. Even though, yeah, you know, as you can tell, I've spared no expense on these moving blankets right behind me, and 
Well, I'm sure that I'm sure if you take that down, there's a nice cupboard there, maybe, or, or a wall with a nice picture on it. There's a no, there's a beautiful concrete wall. I'm in my basement as I do this. So, so well, look, it's great to see you anyway. And uh, it's been it's been too long, really, since uh, to really speak. Yeah, if, if it's, this is the case, well, then, Jay's, we should have done this before. <laughs> well, it's still great. Thanks for asking me. Oh, absolutely. I yeah, I, I got to tell you, my my wife and I got married about uh, two and a half years ago. And, well, uh, thank you very much. And we were, you know, you know, we're planning the wedding and, you know, one of the things you have to, you have to decide on is what, what song you want played at the wedding. And oh, we yeah. had all, we had all kinds of choices, obviously, but the one we settled on was lucky in every way. Um, really? really. And yeah. I mean, I, nobody at the wedding knew the song. <laughs> no. <laughs> they had no idea. We don't know the fucking song. <laughs> But it was it was an important song for for both of us, and you know, it, it it meant a lot to 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 play it there. And That's I it, cool. and Pugwash is one of those bands, and I and I know you you've experienced this because I know you're a, an enormous collector of music. You know when you when you have a band that not the where the whole world doesn't know about it, and you want to let the whole world know, but there's a party that says, "This is my band, and I may, maybe I want to save this all to myself." and 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 Pugwash is like one of those bands that that fits on that on that plateau, very much like well, XTC or Jellyfish or any of the other bands that I know you and I are both big fans of. Yes, but the thing, well, thanks first of all, thanks so much for looking in every way. That's wonderful because I really personally for a song like that, I have a really it's one of my favorites off that record because that record is a bit of a, a bit of a dark period of Pugwash, really, and we can get into that later if you want to. But um, that that. That particular song, I just you know sometimes when it well when you write a song in five or ten minutes, and the lyrical uh, aspect of it really works and the melody really works. And that was one of those songs I thought, yes, um, I'm really happy with that. And it came out really well, you know, on that particular record. So thanks. That's what what can I say? That's a very nice, very very nice thing to hear. And but you're you're dead right because when I was growing up, XTC were, were the band that I didn't want the world to know about. <laughs> Because I knew them, and especially living in, in Dublin, Ireland, um, there was a huge element in me which was kind of like, how, how does nobody know this band? How do, you know, I, of course, people did know making pants and noise, especially in this side of the world, because it was such a big hit. Um, only you know, if you don't, it doesn't look like a big hit on paper because it's seventeen or whatever it got to in the British charts. But and census open all the time got further, and Sergeant Rock got close to that and stuff you know so it wasn't their biggest hit but it's certainly their biggest song and you know and even though senses went into the top 10 and they did top of the pops and that's where i remember seeing them for the first time um, and it's funny because when i heard sense of another time i said this i said to me 10 11 year old self this is the band that did that making plans for noisel song which i really liked but i was in this is very different and it was only like two years ago, whatever it might have been. So, so it was. So I was into them from early, but I didn't get into them till the mid eighties. Because <clears> when I bought Sense of Over Time at the time, uh, I played the B sides. It was always very important being a Beatles fan, a Kings fan. B sides are as good as the A's, you know, BGs, all that kind of bands. But for me, at 11, 12 years of age, Tissue Tigers. I remember hearing. I think it was maybe Heaven Has Paved a Broken Glass or something. It was one of those. I'm pretty sure it's tissue tigers anyway. So do 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 all your dreads up. And it was just too I couldn't get into it as a 12-year-old. <laughs> uh, and I could definitely get into the senses, but that was because it was really poppy. And so when I heard grass, then the story was I went to a little local kebab like a, a, like a kebab joint. Because when we opened things like that in Dublin, <laughs> it was like everyone went there for like a year and then it would close down because everyone would be sick of eating hot dogs and kebabs every day of their life. Right. But this was one of those places, it was close to where I lived and it was a little meeting place really and they had a video jukebox and I had 50p to spare with my hot dog and milk <laughs> that I was eating with my mates and uh, they were all just chatting away and doing the usual mates things but I was like, well, hey Jude from the David Frost show was on the video machine. This is like 1985 and I says, I looked at the, everything else, of course, mid-80s, I'm like, fucking hate all that stuff, Aiken and Waterman, you know, Coley Minogue, whatever, all that kind of stuff was huge. Wham, probably, and George Michael. <laughs> so 
I went right down to the end and I saw XTC Grass and I went, well, that's that band. Census walking over time and and, and making past and I was, well, let's see what they're doing. So I did Beatles, Hey Jude, XTC Grass. Beatles, Hey Jude is on. And I always remember when it got to the na 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 na, yep. the video started to fade. So of course the video machines were like, fuck this, you know, we're not going to be waiting around for eight minutes. Right. Uh, let's get out of here for their 50p. And it just went dark. And then the ball landed on the grass. Boom. Because that's how the video starts for grass. And it just plopped on the ground. And next of all, and I nearly pissed milk. <laughs> I was so blown away. I was yeah. blown away. I couldn't. My mates are all like, why are we, why are we beating up? Why are we talking? I'm like, shut up. <laughs> you know? well, I, stood at the, I stood at the fucking screen. And I literally went out the next day on my bike, cycling into town in Dublin with a few quid. And I went around every second-hand record shop I knew, which was all of them, because we knew where they all were. And I picked up so much XTC stuff, because they were all there were 10p, 20p, because they weren't a chart act. You know, they were kind of a... So a lot of Virgin would press a lot of stuff. It would get out there, but it go straight to the bargain bins. And uh, I was just picking it all up, picking it all up, and I bought everything. I think for me, it's 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 very much the same thing. And 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 I interviewed Andy, uh, you know, last year, and yeah. and and it was I remember that it was phenomenal. And and I and and I told him that the the one song that started it off for me would be like one of the last songs you'd ever expect, and that was. Uh, optimism's flame it was just you know and the reason why it was just it was the most unusual song i had heard because no one sounds like that no one no one writes songs like like how did you like, how you know. did you hear it individually or did you hear it on the album so i i was in college at the time so this would have been oh i think probably 1985 uh okay. and i i had heard a couple of songs i mean i had heard nigel and i had heard you know senses working overtime but my roommate had a bunch of their records and I was listening to Black Sea one day, and he was out even out of the room, and I and I, I'm listening to this. I'm going, this song is bananas. This is like this is the craziest song I've ever heard. And uh, and to talk to Andy about that, he was like, I think he was surprised that that was the entryway into like a, a lifetime of of enjoying that music. Yeah, that's a weird one already. But you know, of course, when you become a fan, a huge fan like like we are, right. Uh, it's everything you want in an Andy Parker song, isn't it? Really, it's it's a melody that's falling down the stairs. It's musicianship of the highest. I mean, they could have been King Crimson at the fucking time. Yeah. No one would difference, you know. I mean, they're such great players. Um, the production, the sonic. I mean, to me, there has to be a case made and and put in stone that Black Sea is as timeless a sounding record as any record has ever been made. I, I couldn't agree with you, you more. You could put it on now and you, you could put it on in a oh, thousand years time and it would sound incredible. It's just one of those records. Now, you know, Mummer, you could put Mummer on and we love all the records, of course, but there's certain records that will sound a little bit of the time and they will have a little bit, Big Express will have a little bit of a, too much Lindrum or whatever, but we still love it. That's what we love. But people might play it at some stage in the future and go, that sounds like something from that's ridiculous, you know. They could because that's the way time goes, you know. It just it changes. People will get back into stuff and all that kind of crap. But Black Sea will just sail above all of it because it's just like it's like Pepper. Yeah. It's like you know, it's like say Led Zeppelin's first album or something, or like Billy's Green. It's incredible, and of course, Skylarkin is the classic and the one that we all, you know, brings us to tears. Probably it's so good, but it's it's funny with. Black Sea is just so fucking great. It's so energetic. Yep. Towers of London, uh, you know, language in our lungs. It's just, it, 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 and even the, the, you know, respectable street, the way it starts off, it's just, it's like it, it explodes right at you. And it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful record. Um, respectable street is a great example of a song completely ruined by censorship <laughs> and by editing. I mean, I, I've never, I don't think I've ever, well, I have, of course, I've played it. But I played the edited version just for a laugh. Yeah. Because it actually loses all its power and everything. It's, <laughs> it's so lame. Yeah. And that was the single, and that's where they went wrong, you know, but they didn't go wrong. It was obviously Virgin and stupidity of it. 
you know. But uh, yeah, that, so, so you know, they, so they have to. So again, we talk about them, and they are genius, and they, they are getting their the, the respect. I suppose they should have had then now. But uh, but in fairness, they had a lot of crap going through their career that scuppered superstardom. You know, absolutely, which is confounding to me because you know there was just so much potential and 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 you know i mean they they take this you know long you know strike against virgin you know how much more great music might there have been had that not happened and it's well well well, i might see this is the thing so when i became this obsessive i I say obsessive and all that means is that i truly love the music yeah it's not like i want to go to andy's laneway out the back of his house and you know look over the fence (laughs) because it's not that it's just that I, I was getting into my life, uh, you know, as a musician in a way, or I was starting it. And so I had that thing in my head where I wanted to be like this. So it obsessed me because he was so good at it and they were so good at it. Uh, so there were a huge influence at that time, um, apart from your obvious influences. But they were so important because they were struggling. They were making music that was, to me, war beaten, but they weren't getting heard. So I was thinking, okay, it's going to be tough for me to do this, but if I use them as a template, you know, for the quality, yeah, I can at least make the good stuff and you know know that it's good, and still know there's a band out there that aren't on top of the pops every week and selling millions, you know, because that's what happens as well. But they can make a career out of it. So I had this real love then of never thinking about success with music. And it stayed with me. You know what I mean? It really has. Yeah. And it's not like I wanted it to be that way. It's just that I, I've never felt like I've failed, even though I haven't sold many records in, in, in the grand scheme of things now. But it's because I have this, I had this outlook that I was like, well, if XTC can stay at that level, I can stay at this level, you know, right. as in even lower, but still stay there. And, and so it's not all about being you two and being, you know, the, the flavor of the month. So that was a huge thing to learn when you're young. That's another thing that XCC gave people. I think that a lot of people don't understand. But but you also have a different point of view, also because Andy Partridge is a fan of your music, and yeah, and, well, and 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 to me, I mean, my head would explode if I heard that Andy Partridge and Jeff Lynne and and Brian Wilson have all said good things about the things that I have hey, you know, created. Ray Davis, exactly. I mean, an, another one as well. well. well I mean, you remember Ray Davis? Sorry, well done. You you remember? Yeah, right. <laughs> See, the thing is, my guys, I do this, and of course, people say about name dropping, right? Now, if they understood, right, name dropping is a very crappy thing because you know, the, you see Victoria Beckham saying, "Oh, I was with the I was with this King of Monaco yesterday, and then I went on a trip with Elton John to his fucking house on the moon or something." Now, that's name dropping because we know Victoria Beckham could go anywhere and meet anybody, and right. John can, can do what he fucking likes. But when it's <laughs> Thomas Walsh from One Kilwood Road in Drimna in Dublin, working class Dublin guy who had no musical history in the family, really, and you know, all that kind of stuff, they're like, this is fucking big. And I will drop those names from, a, from the fucking Eiffel Tower for people <laughs> to hear them. I don't care. And and the thing is, and I say it because they meant it, they they genuinely were honest about it. And, you know, if I ever had someone coming back to me saying, I think they're stuck with shit, I'd be even happier telling that story <laughs> than the good ones, you know? Uh, and, and you're right, it, it, it did blow my mind. I remember the Brian Wilson thing was just, it's almost too much to comprehend when somebody like Brian Wilson just says great song to you. Yeah, about one of your songs. I mean, that's and that's and he looks at you and he smiles because he knows I made that song. And I'm like looking at him, going, "He's the greatest composer of all time, probably." Easy. You know, he's definitely on the throne to the left, of, you know, or right of McCartney and Lennon or whatever. You know, he's just up there. It's- and so that's incredible when you know Ray Davies, and he just says, "I really like that song, and can I sing on it?" And he goes, "What the fuck." No, that's too much because Ray is just behind the throne looking over. Yeah. You know? And then you have Jeff Lynn inviting you to his house four times like I was invited by Jeff and saying lovely things, giving me thumbs up when he's listening to my songs in the studio. And and then and and that completely melted me because he's my idol since I was born. Jeff Lynn, Jeff Lynn. My dreams, 
dreams about that man, you know, dreams of the spaceship and ELO, dreams of <laughs> singing a song with him, all that kind of stuff. And they were coming true. But with Andy Partridge, it was almost like, uh, you know, just kind of, it's like a Michael Penn reaction because Michael is up there with me with Andy and stuff. You know, those kind of writers are really, I kind of idolised them. They're so good. But Andy saying the, the beautiful things he said and saying them on like BBC and all these kind of things. And in print, it, it I sometimes go, does he mean it? It's almost that unbelievable, you know? So I, I know exactly what you're saying. I've no problem with it. I love it. Yeah. You know? I, I, my, my sense, and, and, and again, I've only had, you know, one conversation with Andy and, but, but also, you know, conversations with Colin too. And it's like, what I gather from both those guys is, is, they're not going to bullshit you. If, if they really believe it, they will tell you. And if they don't believe it, they're not going to bother. I don't, I don't think they would give you those kinds of compliments unless they felt you truly deserved it. And I think, well, they, is- I think you do. Cause I think when, and I don't mean this just, just to compliment you. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I own everything you have. It, it, I really believe that you are, you are near that throne. It, it just, it's taken the world some time to kind of understand that one of the greatest songwriters of the 21st century is sitting in, a, in an apartment in Dublin right now. Well, honestly, love beautiful words. I mean, I can't, you know, I don't agree with it. But <laughs> I, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't. I genuinely, genuinely don't because, but I really understand because I love artists uh, like that. And I do believe that about artists I like, and some of them are completely unknown and, you know, been doing it for years or you know and i mean even when i met the guys in the honey bus mm. the 60s band catnet maggie go pete dello and those people you know these i listened to that music when i was a kid and growing up and and you know these, these were making such beautiful music to nobody almost i mean to a lot of people with catnet maggie go because it was a worldwide hit but after that the stuff that came out was so brilliant and so wonderful and should have been million seller sellers anyway and it wasn't, and I'm kind of going, wow. And then they influenced me. I listen to the stuff a lot. Then it comes out of my music, and then you get to meet them locally. Or... And I, I, yeah, I do say those kind of things like you said to me, which is lovely. Uh, maybe they've said the same thing in their heads, but it's it's a it's a lovely thing to hear. I mean, well, I'm I'm in a house in RD, which is County Loud in Ireland, so I'm not in Dublin anymore. Okay. There you go. All right. Well, there you go. The only thing, Mike, it's it's equidistant between Dublin and Belfast, so we're going north in Ireland. Gotcha. So if you look at the map and you look at Dublin, you look at Belfast. Just put your finger right in the middle of the map, and there you are in a straight line, and that's where I am, kind of. Uh, so, but that's just by the boy. I'm Dublin man, born and bred, obviously. But the yeah, it's a lovely thing to hear, Mike, and thank you. But you know, I really with the pandemic and everything. It's, it's really tough for me to, to think that it could be five or six years between records because it's already four years now. Uh, and because of, well, it's just a few health issues after Silver Lake anyway, which I, I still deal with and it's part of my life now. That's not, it doesn't really stop anything. I just have to do that as well as other things. But of course, having health issues with the pandemic meant I just had to get through it. Because, you know, when you think of dear people like Adam Schlesinger, you know, and and, and what are friends and, and relatives who passed from this terrible thing. Uh, it's that easy. It was that easy. It, it can be that easy before the vaccine, you know. So I had to just stay at home. And the thing was, when I was at home, I really desperately wasn't into writing. It wasn't. Some people said, oh, during lockdown, I made an album like Elton John. Well, of course Elton John can make an album because he's not in lockdown, you know. <laughs> He's flying around the world still, and he's in his mansions, and that's brilliant. That's fine, but you know, it's like Mac as well. You know, that's sorry, I'm not saying anything bad about it. It's just that the motivation wasn't there for me to write a record that wasn't going to be recorded right. until the whole thing was over, anyway. One of the things that I've noticed that you've done, and and it seems like you may have taken advantage of this, maybe more than most songwriters that I can think of. Okay, even in even in spite of all of that. I don't know of anyone who did more live stream events than you. I mean, it, it, it wasn't like you just sat there and, and waited for this thing to pass by. You, no. you, were, you were out there and making your, yourself accessible in, in, well, a way, in a way that a lot of artists didn't quite do, maybe more than once or twice. 
Yeah, I, well, I definitely agree with that because every I kind of did one every two weeks, and in my head now I haven't. It's gotten less because you know people get pissed off anyway. You know, even the nice people, you know, they go, "Oh, Jesus, it's your man again for three hours talking shit and blame the Beatles probably." <laughs> but you know, um, I, I I said to myself, "Well, look, if I do something every two weeks, it might bring in a couple of quid, you know, to keep me going because obviously I was earning nothing and nothing was coming in and." When you go, see what happens is with a record, you just say you release a record, even on my level, you know, there's a little explosion, a woo, and you get some royalties for a year, 18 months, because, you know, your music starts getting played again because they're promoting it and all that stuff. So the money can come in for a year to 18 months after a record's been out, even on my level, and it's survivable money. Mm-hmm. You know, a few hundred quid there, a few hundred quid there, and it just keeps you going. That's all it is. Excuse me, that's all it is. But still great, you know, and then some big ones, you know, because you might have had a, a particular, you know, good month on radio and, you know, you might get a grand in or something. They can go like that. It's being completely honest with you. But when the explosion, you know, like a, like a, a black, you know, like a like the creation of earth, you know, it suddenly starts to lessen itself and filter away and go into the midst of time. And that's when you get to two years from it and three years from it. And four years from it, nothing comes in. And not only that, when the last, when between years two and four are a pandemic, it's killing the planet. You know, you can, you can add the maths there. So I was like, well, I have to do something and something has to happen. Fans have been amazing. And I, uh, I can't, it's, I can't get over, you know, the support yourself, of course, included. The support is incredible. And I, I, I'm humbled by it, but that's the thing. Every two weeks, I do a show. But what I did then was I said, fuck it, I'll start from album number one. I'll do the entire album, you know, in chronological order. So I did all my albums. <laughs> the amazing thing is, there's no way I can remember 50 of those songs now if I just sat here with a guitar because I listened to the record again for the first time in ages. I would say, okay, that's how it goes. Do the gig and then not do it again. So they're all lost again. So when I have to go out and play, Again, soon, please God, I have to listen again and, and run through stuff. But yeah, I did lots of shows. Then I did a special Roy Wood show and I did a XTC show and yep. I did a Jeff Lynn show and I did a Kink show. You know, I did all the stuff I love, but uh, but people were great, you know. Uh, and I remember the first, actually, I do remember the first show I did during the pandemic. Like, And it was like suddenly five, six hundred people watching it. I was like, that's never happened. And it just shows you everybody was at home. I think at certain points, especially early on, you know, people were just desperate to hear live music. And if it, it didn't yeah. necessarily have to be in a big concert hall. Sometimes just, you know, sitting around and, and listening to a guy play was really all anyone needed at the time. But they, yeah. but the fact is they really did need it. And that, and that was, and that's when, you know, when you saw more artists start to understand, you know, the importance of these live stream events that, that all of a sudden everybody started to do it. Well, uh, it's, fu- it's funny. It's a good point, actually, because what you'll see is you'll see a, like a pie chart or a timetable of artists who really needed to work to survive. And then other artists who have a bit more money and have a bit more success. And then they were the ones that were coming online to play six months after the pandemic started. Mm-hmm. Suddenly you'd see, you know, Mr. X, I've announced it, you know, I'm doing a gig. And they go, okay, well, it's taken them six months to do it because they, you know, they have money in the bank and it's all okay. But yeah, I was there fucking two weeks into the start of the lockdown and I was doing my thing because I had to. Yeah. But as you said, you know, it's not like other people weren't uh, weren't knowledgeable of, of this thing that was happening. They just did, they would say, oh, I don't have to do that yet. I don't. But, you know, they thought the lockdown would be over in, in six weeks. But of course, 18 months down the line, you know, fucking Lindsay Buckingham was playing on Facebook or something. You know what I mean? It's something ridiculous. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. John Bon Jovi plays Facebook or something. You know, so the thing is, everybody has to because all of a sudden their entire outlet for their, you know, for their work is gone. You know, especially we're going to be the last to go back anyway, really. Yeah. Artists, you know, because it's all packed rooms and, you know, it's, it's just always going to be that way, you know. 
So I, I, I did want to ask you about uh, you know one thing that 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 I've been curious about, and, and again as a fan, you know, I, I I I want to own everything. I've got this disease known as completionism. I have to have everything. It's not a disease, Mike. It's a perfectly normal thing. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm sitting here surrounded by probably 29 copies of All Things Must Pass <laughs> and 57 copies of Out of Blue and about 28 copies of Village Green. Right. Well, well, and, and, and again, all reasonable to own those. Uh, uh, those Stories records. to them all. I'll tell you where I got them. I'll tell you why I got them and I'll tell you why I love them. <laughs> So I, uh, a while back, I, I interviewed a, a friend of mine, uh, and, and she and I were friends in college, and that's um, Cheryl Pavelski from Omnivore Recordings. She and I went to Cheryl college together. Pavelski, beautiful woman. Yes, I know Cheryl very well, of course. Yep. I've, I've, I've known her since I think we were 18, and, uh, and, and she's, uh, she's amazing. And we, we talked about, about Pugwash and, and, and about your music, and, and I, I know that Omnivore has you know, re- released a couple records and one of the things I had asked her, and I don't even know if this actually made the, the final cut of the interview or not, but but I asked her about your back catalog, and she said that you had very specific ideas about that. And I know that the earlier record, not even the earlier records, but you know, many of those records, Olympus Sound and uh, you know Almond Tea, they're hard to find. And in fact, I was on Amazon the other day, and this I. I, I shit you not. There is a copy of Almond Tea on CD being sold right now for three hundred and forty-one dollars. The good news is, at least there's free shipping. So, and and and, 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 and I know you've released you know much of this stuff on 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 vinyl, but it's it's curious to me how you have been very very protective of this material, and I know that some of it has started to squeeze itself out onto streaming platforms, the Spotify's, and that's, that's a recent development. Tell me what your philosophy is on, on your older stuff. Well, that's a really well taught out question. And I'll tell you why it's quite taken me aback is that I have absolutely no care for the protection of my old stuff. I really <laughs> absolutely don't. I'll tell you what it is probably. It's probably my rejection of Spotify. Mm-hmm. That was long, and, and and obviously it was right. Every artist doesn't like Spotify. I mean, except probably Pink Floyd and and the Beatles, maybe and Macca, because they did incredible deals with them. But still, even for what they're offering, for what they're giving, Pink Floyd say to Spotify, it's there's nothing you could pay them for yeah. what they're giving. It's still still not enough. But especially for artists like me and so many thousands of others, it's just a place that comes along, takes your music, and just makes incredible amounts of wealth from it and doesn't give you any of it. Now, that's a very simple thing in my head. Right. And when you're struggling, you know, you take a lot of kicks and you accept so many of them. 99 kicks out of 100 here are bollocks you take because that's just the way it is. It's like any aspect of life, you know. Your boss giving you shit because you're late to work. Anything, it's just, it's, it's just, just apply it to music, it's the same shit. So I was just like, well, you know, why give it? Why just openly go, yeah, they're great, and say I'm on Spotify? Because I just thought it was it was a piss take. Now, the thing about it is when lockdown happened, music was such a saviour to so many people. And it even became a little saviour to me, simply because I said, right, I want to just play lots of music, and I want to play music I love since I was young. And of course, I have everything there, but I still had so much stuff in boxes and CDs and, <laughs> you know, and all these kind of things I have to go looking for. When you get older, you just don't want to look. You'll happily look, you'll happily scroll for 20 euros online with your finger looking for the rare record, but you won't go into the shops anymore, really. You know, well, I still do when I see them. <laughs> but, you know, I won't make a trip in the rain on my bike to go and look, see a record shop. You know, it's just the way it is. I did it all. But I just decided, well... Had a look at Spotify, it's been offered on my platform. And I, I said, right, I'll use the free aspect, I'll have a little go. And of course, everything is there. And yeah. songs I hadn't heard in 20 years, I could play into my headphones. And I just, for that night, I remember four hours went by in about 10 seconds, and I had such a great time. And it isn't Spotify giving you the great time, it's they're the outlet. They're still the bad outlet, they're still the wrong outlet. But I understood the love of it and 
when I understood that, that people are never going to say, you know, oh, yeah, uh, it gives me the music, but I still don't like them. Most people aren't going to say that because they're not artists. Yeah. They're just lovers of music. But they love the fact that it's just given to them when they can go and get it. So I had to get that in my head, that that was just now the way it is. Well, one of the things that, that is true of a lot of your records is that to own a physical copy of it yeah. typically comes with a lot of bonus material that you have not released on, on Spotify, and I applaud you for that. Because, like, on, for example, Silver Lake, uh, your last album from 2017, you know, when it went on Spotify, it left off the bonus track, Deeper, Deeper, which I yeah. think is one of the strongest tracks in the whole record. So in order yeah. to understand that, you have to go and buy it. And, and if you miss that song, I think you're missing a treat because it's like, you, that is a fantastic song. And, and, you know, for those of us who own the record, we did the right thing because you're not missing something. And as like we said, you know, as a, as a consumer, as a fan, to have that complete catalog at your disposal, it's it's important for for people like you and I. So I mean, yeah. I, so I I understand at, at least that part of it. There's an, there's incentive to actually own it as opposed to borrow it from from Spotify for a period of time. Well, I try, I try and because I'm because we're about the same generation, so we desperately want the the object of all of this, the, the piece of art or whatever you want to call it. We want it to be something that you can stare at. You know, I used to stare at album covers and labels for hours while I was playing the music that was on it. You know what I mean? As in just looking at it, and and that alone would give me an incredible buzz. And that's why labels are so important. You'll never see a bad label on a Pugwash album. Because, you know, even down to the labels, you know, I make sure, you know, there's going to be, especially since I've been able to release vinyl, uh, the labels are never left to just, you know, the company who's releasing them's label. You know, I always get my friends, and I pay the money myself, and I'd, I'd pay Brian to just come up, I'd come up with an idea, and we'd walk together, and he'd do a, a beautiful label, and, uh, you know, there you go. Because when I had the new world record when I was eight years old, and one side was the ELO logo, and the other side was tracks this side and tracks other side. You know, that was like mesmerizing, brilliant, you know, and I loved that. And I, I'd never forget things like that. And then the inner sleeve, and, and you know, so that's why we know people like Kosh, and we know instruments like, you know, vocoders, and we know all these things because we read all the, all we had was the record, <laughs> you know, the covers and the inner sleeves. So we read everything to the last. You know, P and C copyright fucking thing. You know, we read everything. Yeah, everyone knows Hayes Middlesex is where they printed all the Beatles albums because you know you just look at the back and it was EMI, Hayes Middlesex, blah, 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 blah. Jet Records. You know, Don Arden, everything. So of course, when you have an album now, you can just be online while you're listening to it, or you can read all about it and read tons about it while you're listening to it online because it's all there. But that beauty of just simple things like labels and covers. And putting a bit of effort into the piece of art you're getting, that still really resonates with me and it'll never leave me. But it's funny though, just going back to the Cheryl thing, uh, it is funny to hear that she thought I was protected. But I think as well with, with Cheryl, we, we didn't, it wasn't a great relationship. I don't mean as in with me and Cheryl, but she's beautiful and we got on great. There was elements of the company that weren't great uh, for us. And that's just the way it is. That's yeah. fine. Um, nothing to do with Cheryl and anything that Omnivore do because they're a great label in that respect releasing great music but um, but I had a lot of trouble trying to get the, uh, the kind of the leasing of my stuff that's what it was because people have just owned my stuff because I would always just say yes to everyone we'd make a record they'd pay for it uh, I wouldn't get any money off them but I'd be after releasing a record Honestly, that was it. I've never, I've, I've never got a payment in my life from sales of any Pugwash record, apart from with Omnivore. And with Sony uh, recently for the Japan release, the only checks that have ever arrived in my house anywhere <laughs> sales of Pugwash records. And that you're talking about the middle to the end of the 2015, you know, the middle of the 2010s. And I'm making records since the late 90s. So never, but, but the but people would put up a lot of money to make the record. So it was kind of a, you know, it was kind of a work situation like that. But 
so so Cheryl's been great like that and Omnibor they've been great like that but I, I had some trouble trying to license my own stuff which I sorted out eventually but uh but you know probably was to the detriment of us with Omnibor really you you posted on recently that you you now have songs to record and you're looking to put together a record and that you're doing another crowdsourcing campaign to get this thing yeah. uh taken care of that's not unusual anymore and, and it certainly is the way that a lot of people have gone about you know putting together the costs of a, of a new record is your plan on that to to put a band together or is this going to be more of like a like a full solo thing like you did with silver lake and and, and jason faulkner no it's it's totally that i yeah. mean the thing is uh, my my perfect band i've had some really great incarnations of Bugwash the very beginning very lucky well just because we all know each other mm -hmm. you know and and since i've been gone since the you know the 90s uh, a lot of that generation as well people of my age and stuff we all did lots of stuff together and a lot of us mingled and a lot of us intertwined and became great friends and so from the very start i had people from glenn hansard's you know set up and people like uh lear Irish band they were a couple of big records in Ireland back in the day, but were potentially going to be big in America, but didn't happen. You know, just all these great players, uh, uh, obviously Neil Hannon then and Cathy Davies bands and, and all these kind of people, Duke Special. You know, there's all these great Irish artists with great players and I've had them for a long time. But when we finally decided, when I finally decided in a lot of ways to, to give this a go with a band, uh, it was only because I could get my favorite band together, which was my friends, which was Sean McGee on bass, Joey and Tosh drums and guitar, all the vocals. And they were old friends. They were in other bands. They had other things. Logistically, geographically, it was all stupid. England, you know, certain parts of Ireland, blah, blah, blah. But we gave it a go for like six, well, seven, eight years probably in a real way, making some great records and touring as much in America as we could and all over the place. And that's, they're great memories, they're great times. It, 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 you know, a lot of times my friends in America have said, come here, we can get a band together. And that, that always frightens me a bit, but because I know now the American level of talent, especially with my friends, uh, I, I know it could easily happen and it would sound amazing. So I'm, not, I'm totally open to that kind of thing anyway, but... I, I'm not going to physically get an, a band together and take pictures and, you know, <laughs> go out on the road as that, really. It's going to be either something, some special things or, you know, going abroad and having a pickup band. And pickup sounds slightly derogatory in its way, but, but that's what it is. It's like, you know, you go and you pick up your friends and you go and play some shows. So that's exciting. But the next Bugwash album will be me again, Silver Lake style, as in, the same kind of thing, me just getting the, the core of the musicians together to make the record. And then I'll do what I have to do to, to get it out there. When you write songs and I, and I obviously, you know, you know, pandemic aside with you telling it, saying that, uh, you know, it wasn't really a fruitful environment to, to be writing yeah. in. Does it come easier to you to, to write now, or is it really a, a struggle to get there? I mean, I know it, I've talked to plenty of people who you know, we talk about like writer's block or, you know, interruptions in, 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 in writing or creating. I, I mean, is, is that something that you've experienced or, or is it just, is it something different than that? It's pretty weird with me. I've never, I, I believe my entire life has been writer's block simply because, you know, I always compare in a way to the way Neil Hannon writes, you know, cause I've worked a lot with Neil, uh, as much as he'd say it, you know, because he's quite, well, he's quite honest in a lot of ways, but, you know, he's kind of also a bit flippant about it in a way, but he would work every day on something, on some area of his craft. And that's why, you know, he has the success and that's why he's such a brilliant guy. And that's why he's doing Hollywood movies now, you know, and stuff like that. He's, he's such a talent. Yeah. Of course. But as an example of someone I, I ended up working a lot with and, and being great friends with and, having the honour of working with Neil, I just would sit there and go, I'm not even in the same fucking stratosphere as this guy because I can literally not play the guitar for at least six months, not even pick it up 
And now, some people say, well, that's just lazy and, you know, you don't deserve if you have shit, you know, that's, but, you know, again, there's no right way of doing this. No one knows. No one has done it. I mean, you know, like some of my, again, some of the people I'm talking about, like, just say the Honey Bus guys, they made records till 1970, 71. Then they stopped making records for 25 years. Yeah. I mean, some people, we could think of loads of them, couldn't be even Andy with XTC, you know, the, the gaps, you know, the, the huge gaps. And now, God, it's 20 years. It's, yeah, it's 20 years since XTC, you know, since XTC. Yeah. And, and you know, there's so many artists that go, oh, that's the first album in 11 years, Blue Nile, all these people. You know, but again, they might have made one great record and be able to live off it. That's right. But I find it a mind-bending struggle to, to write songs. <laughs> but because I know at the end of it, there's something special, you, you just fight through it. I mean, I, I was saying this the other day to somebody, uh, you know, the annoyance of writing, you know, because just say I made a, a sandwich, a chicken sandwich, say. And I was feeling a bit crap and I had a few aches and pains and I hadn't slept well and I taped something on TV to watch and I go, right, sandwich, cup of tea, <laughs> couch, TV. Ah, okay, I'll, I'll go into the bedroom to get a tea towel and you get a tea towel. So I walk in and the guitar is sitting there like it is. And <laughs> something in your head goes, pick it up, right? Yep. So I just go, okay, uh, fuck it, pick it up, ding, 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 strum for 10 seconds. And I go, la, 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 la. and I go, oh, shit, that's something, that's good. That's something good. And then I and then I know for the next three fucking hours, my sandwich has gone hard, the TV has gone off, the fucking tea is cold. I'm still sitting in the room going, la, 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 because that one nugget of something which your brain told you to pick the guitar up and it came out, that's forced you into fucking the next three or four hours to be even more uncomfortable, more pain, more anguish. <laughs> and then at the end, though, you have a little song and you go, okay, that's okay. Put it on the phone. Yep. There you go, leave it. And that's the life of me as a songwriter. You know, it's, I remember a story that uh, that Jeff Lynn had, uh, had told. and He was going through something very similar to you it's like you know he, he he knew he needed to write a new record he was struggling to get anywhere and then he goes away tries to find a little inspiration nothing comes and then all of a sudden he's sitting there there's a rainstorm and in two yeah. weeks he writes all four sides of out of the blue in two weeks after struggling for months to come up with anything it you know to me that's just the kind of the the magic of of uh, of creativity, it's like you know. Sometimes it comes when you least expect it, and there's no explanation as to where it comes from. Well, that's exactly it, and you know, it, it, it's it's something you know. I do even listen to obviously lots of interviews with artists, and and they say we don't know where it comes from. And sometimes I go, really, and I'm one of those. It's totally <laughs> how, but you still even question it as a listener because you go, surely it comes from somewhere, but then of course it doesn't. It doesn't. You don't know where it's coming from. It's ridiculous. You don't know why you have this outlet either. I mean, I still question, do I have it? Because I don't have gold records on the wall, you know? So there's, there's always that extra bit with someone like me. But the Jeff Lynn thing was a classic. I mean, that was his most acclaimed time of writer's block and telling the world he did have it. Because he, I think he wrote something like, I think it was like Stand in the Rain, or he had one song that he'd written that he thought was good. And that was it. I was like, well, we have to have a fucking album. So <laughs> he went to the Alps, Swiss Alps. That's it. Yep. And that's what happens. You know, so it, we it's very famous. But of course, typically with Jeff, it still wasn't, if you think about it, the band would have thought, this is still not a fucking record because there was no lyrics written. Mm -hmm. You know, the songs were all, you know, highly secret in a way until he suddenly emerged with them in the studio. But there was never any lyrics, never any melodies. Can you believe that? That's the mind-bending thing with me with Jeff Lynn, that he's such a melody-orientated person. Yet something like Elder Blue was was completely tracked without any melodies. Amazing. That's fucked up. That's that's <laughs> as weird as the Brian Wilson world, the Lennon and McCartney world. That's that's why to me he's up, and that's why a lot of people 
just thinking of his glasses and his hair and all that stupid shit and you know, flares and all that bollocks they come out with when they slag you low. Now, of course, they're getting a lot better press the last 10 years. That's great. Well, a lot of that slagging was that they just didn't take them seriously. Yeah. But anyone who can make a record that sells 10 million albums or whatever, like out of blue, and have one of the greatest songs of all time, Mr. Blue Sky, and a track an entire record with orchestras and drums and pianos and fucking everything else, and have no <laughs> melodies until the last minute, well, that's a fucking genius in my world. So... Uh, but I can't do that. I, I, if I write a song, it almost gets the, the arrangement, the length, the lyrics, everything gets done at the same time. It's like I just have to finish the cake. And, you know. <laughs> but that's what I did with this record. I mean, I put I 12 demos on my phone that I finished, the finished phone demos, they're called. So the structure of the song and pretty much the lyrics. And I said, I normally write 20, 25 and I pick. But this time I just went, I kind of like each and every one of those. In my head, they sound like they could flow as a record. I'm just leaving it there. I've one other song that's been in my head for a while that I know I can finish. That might be another one. But at the moment, I've just written 12 to do 12, and I've never done that before. And it's funny because that's exactly the way Jeff Lane wrote as well. That's where you don't hear any outtakes of the LO stuff because there's none. So you're not, you're not going to get 10 extra songs from out of blue that were done, never released. No, he that's that was it. He did 17 or whatever the fuck it was. He did it. And the same with all the records, really, apart from a little later when they did the odd bits. But he's a great example of someone never recording extraneous, strenuous stuff. Yeah. Whatever they go. Well, I, I hope that when you, you do get to putting this all together, that uh that I can buy it for less than three hundred and forty one dollars. Well, see, the, the, the amazing thing is Amazon, I often wonder, are they, even, are they even physically available? Because sometimes you see things like that and you go, well, that's ridiculous because you can't just look around for a bit and you might find one for 20 quid. Now, in fairness with Almond T and Almanac, no, you won't because yeah. they are really scarce. I mean, the thing was, they were released on a label called Velo Records, which is two great friends of mine in Dublin. Lovely people, still great friends. And they just released some lovely Dublin Irish music, you know, of really talented artists who went on to do better things, bigger and better things. A lot of them. But uh, I'd, I'd be a good example of someone who kept going after starting with Velo. But especially with Almanac, that was the last album they ever released because they folded about two weeks after it came out. So it didn't even get out of the, of the storage unit. Wow. Uh, the distribution unit. So I went down... It's a famous story for me. I went down to the place about six weeks after the album came out because it was on sale for $27.99 in Dublin shops. Old money, before euros even. Because, because A, the company went and folded, and so the distribution people wanted their money back, so they upped the price of it and everything. So no one was buying it. I think it sold 111 copies on CD officially. Really? Albanite. Yeah, so there was about a thousand printed, I think. But what happened was I went down to the storeroom and I said to the guys, because I even knew them, uh, because I'd worked with them before at the time on the first album. I said, look, lads, the company's bust. And you know that stuff's going to sit in there and probably going to get thrown out. Because you're not going to distribute it because you've no money. You don't want to distribute it because they owe you money. And I know they owe you money. And I will be ta- and the stock is maybe the only thing you can get the money back off. But if you're going to let it sit there, would you not just give it to me? Okay, he has a point. Because I don't think it happened nowadays, really. But it, anyway, they said, yeah. But what they did was they brought out all the stock on a pallet. And I was standing there with no car, no nothing, because I don't drive. So I was just there going, okay, <laughs> with a pallet full of my own CDs, what do I do? So a friend of mine, I rang, and he came down with his truck. Yeah. Put them all in his truck and brought them back to me. And that's how... Almanac is such a loved album in America because Jason Faulkner was on it. And I literally sold them for $10 each, including postage. <laughs> literally to about four to 500 American people over through my space and over the next 18 months. They all went to America. A few went to Japan. And- well, I, I, I got my copy of it. So it's a, uh, so I'm, look at you. I now, know. Did you get, when did you get that copy? Oh, this was, you remember? I think I got this about a year ago. 
Okay, so you got it online. It looks like a nice copy. It's a it's a it's a good copy. It's a used it's a used copy because I mean I. <laughs> give us a look. Give us a look at the back and stuff for a second. Uh, did there you, you go. New, did you put a new box on it? Um, because some of the ones that you can buy have these promo stickers on the back because honestly, they were the only ones that got out. Were yeah. The ones that had these like I think it's no. This wasn't a cutout or you know a, a scratch. Oh, no, there wouldn't have been any of that now. Yeah, or a scratch scan. The the only one I have not been able to get is is uh, is almond tea, and that's uh, and 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 I I can't justify three hundred dollars, but I always keep my eyes open. For it. Yeah, I $24, mean four dollars, twenty four dollars were fucking annoying. <laughs> but I have to say, again with almond tea, about five years. I meant no, about ten years ago, my dear friends from that label were back in Ireland because because I remember Michael went to work as a teacher in Belgium, and I think I think that's where he still is actually. The main guy, Michael O'Shea. But he came back to Ireland for a while to, to do family stuff with his brother who ran the label. I walked in, they'd been out in their shed and they'd literally found extraneous boxes. So there was about four boxes of almond tea. There was about 50 copies of apples on CD single, but about 20 of them were water damaged. Uh. Uh, so I kept the discs, I remember. I had to fuck out the sleeves. Uh, some posters uh, and about... A hundred almanacs with no, uh, no pl- plastic casings. So the, the the booklets, the back bits, and the CDs. So I bought cases and I, I sold more of them. And uh, so so and that was yeah. So that was about ten years ago. So you probably missed out on that little sale because I did put them online as well. I, I sold them out, but almond tea went quite quickly then i did a reissue of it i just did a little card sleeve of it myself because it gave me the rights back and stuff so so i've done a few of my own copies uh, funnily enough which i do have spares of in there just the card sleeves the thing is i sometimes open a box and there's a two or three of them sitting in there and if i do find one you'll be the first in line now there's another guy <laughs> who's been asking me now i swear to god he's been really full-on not in a bad way just that he's always saying did you find one did you find one? and uh, I can't think of his name at the moment, but let's shh, let's say nothing, Mike. <laughs> no, if I find one, I'll just I won't say anything. We, I'm not being bad, but you know, it's probably <laughs> pay three hundred and forty quid the book anyway. So. We we don't have to out that guy, especially if he winds up getting my copy. So <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. But I will. Do you know what? Because I did all the moving shit that happened, you might have seen online when I was evicted during lockdown. Uh, I got so scared because it was such a harrowing thing to move everything. Yeah, that the whole room in there still has full of still full of boxes. So, you know, because I'm thinking, well, if I get hoofed they were here for some fucking weird reason without warning, <laughs> I'm not going to be boxing all that shit up again. Right. So there's an element of you kind of, but I want to get out of that. I don't want that to be something that dictates how I live. You know. Yeah. Uh, so I'll get you, I'll get into the boxes eventually in the next few months, and if I find one, thank you. Well, I, I I appreciate that because I mean I've. I mean, I've heard the records. They're, they're just so damn good, and there's so many great songs, not just on those two records, but all of them. Uh, and and, and I, I, I got Excellent. the I got the whole stack here, Thomas. I got the whole damn great. stack here. So I like saying a stack. Yep, I, I do. Lo- I do love the fact that they're all coming out on on really lovely vinyl, though, as well. I mean, and for for someone of my level, uh, they're really quality pressings and they're really quality. You know, everything is remastered, like digitally, like artwork and stuff even, you know, and the some had been rejigged. Like, so the Almanac vinyl had a bit of rejigging of the cover. Yeah. You know, a little bit of font change, a little bit, just a couple of little things just to make it really stand out uh, as a big thing. Almond T, there's a little bit of changing and there's a beautiful change on 11 Modern Antiquities that is coming. Friday is the latest. Oh, good. That they will be in England and getting packaged to be sent. Uh, the other thing is because I'm doing these couple of house, few house shows at the end of the year in America mm-hmm. uh, I, my deal with Sugar Bush is I get stock I give them the album they sell it uh, of course I can sell my stock when I play gigs and all but of course that's so that's why I've got a lot of boxes of stuff the last few years because <laughs> I did Almond Tea Almanac the Good, the Bad, the Pugly thing and then I did Jollity with the 7 inch and the picture disc so there's a lot of boxes of stuff that couldn't get sold because I wasn't playing. So I'm sending a box of stock to America to my friends, and they'll be the 
stuff I can use. I can sell at gigs, basically, when I do them. Did so, you get Tolody, by the way? I, I, in fact, I do. I got it right here. There you go. Did you get? Did you get the vinyl? Are you a vinyl man at all? Are you? So I, I had been collecting. Is feeling you like the CD? We love, of course, we love CDs. But, you know, I like, I like the CDs. I, I, I have a lot of vinyl, but um. You know, just for the convenience of it to be able to, you know, rip it onto absolutely. my phone. I mean, I, absolutely. I, I've kind of gone a little hog wild with the CDs and not so much vinyl, although I really do love the experience of vinyl maybe more than anything else because, I mean, it's, yeah. it's bigger, it's, it's, bol- it's, you know, I, I like that, that physical, physical sensation of holding art in yeah. my hands. Well, I have to say, you know, you might be saying, and that's why I don't want to be, cagey and saying it because I'm the, I'm the exact same I almost buy a lot of vinyl to have it to hold yeah. it to smell it to look at it and then I will play the CD or I'll play the Spotify <laughs> right. you know and, and I have amazing setups I have a beautiful I have a George Harrison Riga you know beautiful Riga turntable with these beautiful expensive speakers and a beautiful lamp that I treated myself to years ago and they will sound great. And when my friends will come around or whatever, I'll happily have it set up and play. Because to me, almost vinyl is a social thing even. Yeah. More than it is a personal thing. Oh, I definitely uh, see music, that. I definitely musically, see that. you know what I mean? Yeah, because, you know, if you have a, 10 people around and you play vinyl, it's very cool and it's very, it's great. Yeah. You no, know, and, but on your own at home, relaxing, if you have the, phys- if I have the physical thing in front of me, and I have my headphones on, I'm listening to it on Spotify. Now, sometimes you hear things and you kind of go, that's not quite doing it to me. I mean, a great band, an example of a great band who, who don't do digital very well is the Kinks for me. Uh, you know, now, mm-hmm. Andrew Sandoval has, has, has gotten their catalogue together beautifully. And digitally, since Andrew's been involved, yes, fantastic. But for a long time, there were just, I'd have to go back to my See My Friend 7-inch Poi single. UK because that fucking thing blows their head off you. It's so gorgeous, and you play it on CD and it's it's tepid. Yeah, well, so, I, mean, there, so, I mean, there's that. De- there's definitely something to be said about that, and and, and I find that you know a, a, a lot of streaming. There's there's generations of sound that are lost on streaming that you just don't hear unless you're hearing it on 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 clean is, vinyl. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. you know, and it's not huge, but there's a definite other side to it. You know, I love that when Nick Drake was the re-release of all Nick Drake's stuff. Now, I know he's been re-released a lot, and it, but it's right. I don't give a shit. Once it's nice, beautiful, I'll pick it up, really. But there was also the fact that they, they needle-dropped Nick's own copies of his own albums <laughs> as, as an extra, as an online download extra, you yeah. know, 16-bit, whatever it might have been. Uh, this is where, again, about 10 years ago, probably when they re-released a lot of the stuff in the box sets and stuff. And those needle drops of his own records, listening to them with the crackles and stuff and knowing they were Nick's copies. That's a very beautiful thing. Yeah. And that's a whole other side to it as well that, that young people would love about music. You know, so if you if you have a young, an 18-year-old who loves Led Zeppelin and they love the first album so much and they, they know every bit of it, but if you said this is Robert Plant's own copy, needle dropped and available for download... That would blow their fucking minds. It's a, it's another aspect of music that's yet to be explored. I think you know the the first album I ever bought was uh, Queen's and I uh, a, a night at the opera, and yeah. I and every time I hear it now, I still remember where all the skips and the pops were on my on that first that oh, first yeah. vinyl copy I had to the point where I prefer those skips and those 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 crackles yeah. because that's the experience I had when I listened to it. You know, in nineteen seventy five. My when I bought Duke's Stratosphere when it came out, yep, uh, 25 o'clock, there wasn't a it was sealed and all. I bought it in HMB <laughs> and I brought it home and I played What in the World, you know, when I was playing the record, the album. And I did this incredible, really off time, jazzy drum fill, do that, that, and I just was like, that's fucking brilliant. It's almost <laughs> like they spliced the tape for years after the CD came out. I thought that's what it was. It was a defect <laughs> in the vinyl. And it just went to, to this incredible off-time thing. And do you know what? I can't listen to it without knowing that bit is coming up. Yep. Jethro Tull's Benefit album. There was a skip in there. I'm sitting in the corner feeling glad. Inside, which I love. <laughs> I love that record. And it just skips 
<laughs> and it's just like, all right, whenever I hear it now, it doesn't sound right without the skip. <laughs> and that's another beautiful thing about vinyl. There's so much, so much more to it because it was fragile and vulnerable. Isn't it? Well, Thomas, it's, it's been a real joy to talk to you today. And, and I do appreciate you taking the time. And, you know, like I said, I, I, My pleasure. I am a huge fan of, of, your, much, of your work. And I, I can't wait to, to hear more. So well, thank you. That really means a lot. I'm sorry for blabbing on too much. I'm sorry for giving you too much to edit. Ah, please. <laughs> well, thanks, man. But I love the fact that, you know, I love to speak to people who have knowledge and who have a love of music like you do. So there's a lot of times you do these things and it's just a bit of, you know, questions by proxy or whatever, you know, it's just so <laughs> you know your stuff. You're a passionate man. You've done some great interviews in the past. So I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for asking me. And I have a great rest of the week you too from thomas real a, a real joy thank you so much cheers mate we'll stay online and keep in touch all right thank you hey thanks for listening if you're looking to hear some of thomas's best songs i put together a playlist on spotify of his music you can find that on facebook and instagram and all kinds of social media and if you like the show please feel free to share it love it spread it around to all your friends and you can email me at backsatronk102.com i'd love to know what you think and thanks so much for listening to Baxi's musical podcast